This program is brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U at Stanford University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu. Uh, as a speaker for this session, but just exactly like disasters when they happened, we have to immediately respond and change. And Chris herself, the original speaker, is actually called to respond to Katrina. So we have Leslie joining us, and she will also maybe give us a little more insight about how Cisco is responding to Katrina, how it impacts uh, Cisco. But in general, she will also share with us how Cisco manages risk. And it's not just supply chain risk, it's the whole corporation's risk. So please welcome Leslie Ham. Yeah. Thank you very much. Am I on? I am. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here today. And uh, as he said, I, am not expect I was not supposed to be here today. My manager, Chris Kite, was supposed to be here. She volunteered through the Red Cross to uh, go down to the area, the affected area, uh, and work. Uh, Cisco has responded in many different ways. Uh, one of the ways was to volunteer. Uh, 50 volunteers from Cisco Systems has gone down to the affected area to help with the disaster. They're helping not only with uh, technology, but also with uh, care, feeding, and uh, getting water and appropriate supplies to these people. I have exchanged several voicemails with Chris over the last couple days. And just as a, you know, just as a couple of data points, <clears throat> in the New Orleans uh, area alone, there are approximately 157 shelters, 56,000 people displaced. It is a disaster that's unbelievable. And, you know, I think... We all need to respond when we can. Um, but it also sort of points out why it is so important for us to be prepared beforehand, as, many, as the speakers before us have said. Um, and some of the things that I'm going to talk to you about today is how we respond or how we are trying to manage uh, some of the risk at Cisco Systems. I'm the risk manager at Cisco. I've been there for about five years. In my prior life, I was a teacher. I was, I've also been on the insurance company and broker side, but I'll keep that one silent. I won't go into that. <clears throat> so, um, just a little bit about Cisco. Cisco is, has been in business for about 20 years. We are a $20 billion company. We're in over 60 countries, and we have about 35,000 employees. Most of our uh, products are manufactured uh, by another source, 95% of our, uh, our, our contract manufactured. So we have uh, a large supply chain risk, and we'll go into that a little bit, but most of what I'm going to talk about today is our uh, enterprise risk management project that we've been working on and how we manage the risk at Cisco Systems. So again, to us, understanding what risk is and what could affect our company before it affects it is very important. We have a theme within our company, and it is part of our culture, that we don't want any surprises. And that comes from John Chambers. Understanding and identifying the risks beforehand is very important. We are doing that through a, a project that we call Enterprise Risk Management. I'll, I'll talk a little bit about how we are doing that uh, as I move through the uh, presentation. We want to measure what the impact of these risks are to uh, the corporation and evaluate what the alternatives to the risks are. Not all risks are bad. In fact, they can be good. We want to take strategic risk where it makes sense 
and, uh, and don't take those that, that don't make sense. So in this day and age, there are new ways of managing risk, uh, especially in this complex world that we live in, uh, where we are a global world now, we are, we are a global company, we have risks facing us every day all over, we have new risks every day. We need to understand what those risks are so that we can are, are adequately prepared. Our mission at Cisco, of course, is to focus on the shareholder value, but also our employees are our biggest assets, and we want to protect the, our employees to the best that we can. We also want to protect our um, reputation, and as well as um, uh, understand where the, where, um, the regulatory uh, risks are. So a little bit about risk ma uh, enterprise risk management. Our goal, again, is to understand and coordinate and talk about risk throughout the corporation in a consistent manner so that everyone understands um, how to respond and are responding consistently. Having people and employees in 60 different countries, you can imagine that's a little bit difficult, but we're now starting to mobilize and, and try to get the, me the message out there. Education and awareness is part of my job, so that we talk to people about the risks they face, ask them, and, and ask them as well. They are also experts. We hope with 35,000 employees that we have 35,000 risk managers, understanding what their risks are to their business units and understanding how to appropriately uh, address those. Our objective is to design the risk so that it's embedded in the culture, that people know that there is a risk, that they understand which, that risks that they, those risks that they should take and uh, those risks that they sh should be avoiding. We feel that the benefits of this, of course, will create efficiencies within Cisco and that we can um, manage for the, when a disaster does strike. We look at risk uh, at Cisco sort of in a continuum from a reactive to more of a proactive. So from protection to growth. On the protection side, more on the reactive, we're trying to understand what the risks are. We're doing a risk assessment. We're, business, we're uh, planning uh, for our, uh, and trying to become as resilient as possible. As we move through the, co the continuum, we want to make sure that we're optimizing the risk, that we're, un that we're able to respond adequately, and that we can tolerate certain levels of risk. And we want to understand what our uh, risk tolerance is. That becomes a bit difficult with, this, uh, with a corporation of our size, because sometimes, how much can we take? How, much, how big of a risk is a corporation like Cisco able to take? That's the question, and that's something I haven't been able to answer yet, but I'm working on. And as we move through the continuum, we go to growth. How do we take risk in an intelligent, disciplined manner so that all employees, all management are effectively dealing with the risk? One of the things that I think Mr. Fritz um, mentioned is how effective is management to dealing with these risks? And that's one of the questions that we'll be at, we ask throughout our enterprise risk management project that I'll be talking about. This is just another way to look at the continuum from a resilient, building a resilient corporation to where the risk management is integrated and again is part of the culture 
that we have embedded analytics and that we're able to track and understand through metrics what the risks are and where we are with them as we go through it. And again, to build an adaptable enterprise so that we are um, self-optimizing and also self-correcting, that when we see something happen, we are able to switch gears and adapt to uh, the new risk and or world. I'm gonna skip through these slides just because I think it really uh, talks to um, what I've just spoken about. This is the framework, and I'm sure many of you have seen this, the Enterprise Risk Management Framework, and one that we're operating under. We have gone through this project where we wanted to identify the risks, analyze what they meant, and analyze what the impact to Cisco is, gain the consensus from a senior management perspective, and then develop action plans. So this is sort of where we are today. The way we went about doing this and developing what the risks were or understanding what the risks were, for the last two years we have uh, interviewed our senior VPs um, all the way from the top uh, of the chain to ask them really what are, your, what, are, what are your biggest risks to your business unit and what do you feel are the biggest risks to Cisco? Uh, we asked them to give us three to five examples. We also asked, what is, how, how effective is management in dealing with these risks? Uh, and then finally, what, is the, what do you feel the impact to Cisco is? We, um, last year we uh, interviewed probably 50 senior VPs. This year we did about a little over 50. We have taken the results and we've aggregated them up and our goal was to come up with the top five to 10 risks to Cisco. With that information, we're able to then understand what those risks are, and start to develop plans behind those risks, which is where we're, we're working on right now. These are some of the um, typical risk management action plans. Um, I'm just gonna go through one example here under the operational risks uh, supply chain. This is, again, one of the largest risks, risks that we do face because we do outsource so much. We are partnering very closely with manufacturing. They have uh, risk managers embedded within uh, the manufacturing process and uh, the team. And we work very closely with them to understand what those risks are, uh, to be sure that we don't have any single source suppliers, to make sure that we have backup plans, to um, also to understand where we can uh, go to if, if a disaster does strike at any one of those contract manufacturers. That's sort of on the macro level. On a more micro level, we're looking at our contracts with, the, with each and every vendor or, or supplier that we have to be sure that the risk is taken appropriately, that if it's not Cisco that causes the, the loss or damage, that our vendor or supplier is taking on that risk if, if they caused it. When we developed, when we're going through our enterprise risk management project, our goal was to develop the top 10 risks to Cisco. We developed a risk map. This, of course, is just an example and not uh, uh, Cisco's. But we wanted to find out what were the risks in the top coordinate uh, uh, area, high impact and the high likelihood. So as an example, a supply chain risk might be uh, one of those that we want to sort of hone in on, 
uh, and understand specifically what those risks are and how we can better deal with those risks. Part of our project was to come up with a gap analysis uh, based on the um, management effectiveness. So where were the risks uh, and how big was the gap between uh, how, how well management was dealing with these risks? If there was a large gap, we felt that, again, that those were the ones that we needed to really focus on and focus our attention on. This is just an example of our integrated approach that we have partnered very closely throughout the corporation, especially with internal controls. We um, partnered with them beforehand to go out to do these interviews with the senior management. We felt that they would bring um, good controls to the process, as well as being able to follow up afterwards to how well we are managing those risks after all. Once we picked out what those risks were, they can then go uh, out to audit some of those risks and the areas that need to be um, focused on. Our partnership, however, has been um, throughout the corporation and has been uh, not only with line managers and executive management, but also with the board. We are now being able to roll up to the board and explain to them what our risks are, and that makes them much more aware of what's happening within the corporation and able to make some uh, strategic decisions that they need to make. A little bit about the supply chain management that I've um, discussed. I just wanted to uh, sort of take you through how we look at it at Cisco. Cisco realizes that they can't do everything perfectly, as none of us can. We uh, uh, split what we do very well between core versus context. What we do very well, we take in-house, or we outsource it with very tight controls. So an example of that is our uh, um, contract manufacturing. We outsource that. We have very tight controls on that, not only through the contracts, but also we're able to see into the supply chain to see what those controls are, how they're managing it, to be sure that our partners have business continuity plans, to be sure that there are other um, second source suppliers, et cetera. That which is not mission critical to Cisco, we do outsource and we feel that they know how to do that better. An example of that might be our travel. Uh, I don't go through Cisco to, to take a business trip. I go through our travel, depart uh, travel department, which is third party. They know how to do that. They manage that well. We let them do it. We control it to some extent. We want them to do a good, uh, good job at it, but we do outsource it. Uh, this is uh, an example of where we have our factories and our distribution infrastructure. It is worldwide. And again, we want to be sure that we have backup plans and that these contract manufacturers have good controls in place so that we can prevent uh, the risk from happening in the first place. We have, uh, manufacturing has developed a dashboard. So again, we have metrics by which we can measure our partners uh, at any time and understand what the risks are, uh, thereby understanding what the risks to Cisco are. And just as a closing thought, Organizations make money by taking risk and lose money by not effectively managing risk. Again, we feel that we, if we manage correctly, we can take those strategic risks where it makes sense and uh, 
hopefully optimize Cisco to the best of its advantage. Are there any questions? I'd be glad, happy to take some. Uh, thank you, Leslie. And uh, maybe I will start with a question, and then I also want to welcome the floor to also raise comments and uh, reactions. Uh, the first question uh, that I want to raise is in, in reaction to Lin's uh, speech, uh, which uh, he eloquently described the importance of local preparedness, uh, having local capacity and prepared. So I just want to ask uh, Leslie is that um, of course, in a corporate office, uh, Cisco recognized the importance of risk, and you have a corporate uh, way of promoting and managing risk. But how do you make sure that all these sites that you have, your partners especially, uh, some of them are in the Czech Republic, uh, in China, uh, they are the ones who actually would be faced with the real risk of disruptions uh, when things happen, and they have to re react, they have to be prepared. Mm -hmm. So how do you mobilize the firm so that it's not just this group that you are heading uh, that would be prepared. Uh, instead, every segment of the firm, as well as your extended supply chain partners, would be ready. So what are the ways or what are the thoughts? Uh, Good question, thank, and thanks for asking. Uh, I think a couple of different ways. One way, I think one of my biggest jobs here is to the education and awareness of risk. I'll be going to India next week and talking to our offices within India about risk and how they can mitigate some of it and um, ask them as well what they think some of the risks are. So that'll be part of our enterprise risk management initiative. I think another way is to, um, because of our partnership throughout the corporation, especially with internal controls, especially with manufacturing, we talk to them about risk all the time. Uh, it is a partnership uh, and the internal controls people, the audit, people are going out to find out how well we are managing some of the risks that we've identified, and they'll bring that information back to us. So those are some of the ways. Other questions from the floor? Yeah. Yes, please. Uh, good morning. I'm with General Motors, and um, we have a very similar approach in many of the same challenges that you have in managing risk. I was wondering if you could comment a little more about how you validate your suppliers in terms of their business continuity plans and the robustness of them mm -hmm. and how they're kept current? Uh, good question again. Thank you. I, we um, are very close. To, we partner very closely with our contract manufacturers. And again, we sit down with them and talk about some of the risks that they face. We also have contracts in place uh, to make sure that the, the controls are in place that we want to have there. So I think that's, that those are some of the ways that we take a look at that. Sir. Uh, I'm Shishir Mukherjee from Oricon International. How do you involve your top management in understanding the risk process? Do you have a risk oversight committee involving the top management? Or? Yes, we do. Uh, thank you. Uh, we do have. Uh, we interview our senior VPs, as I stated before. But then based on the information that we get back, we have developed a risk council uh, so that we meet on a, I'd say, every two months or so, or month or so, and discuss some of the risks, and we roll that back up into our senior management all the way to the board level. So we are letting them know what the risks are uh, and how we're managing them, and we're also doing it in terms of a team so that we can um, sort of bring all of our expertise. I bring the, the risk management side, but we have legal, we have safety and security, we have internal audit, uh, we have um, infosec people, uh, a number of them. Uh, so we do involve our senior management. 
Okay, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Randy Sabar from Charles Schwab. Do you use the ITIL framework in any of your um, risk management processes? Yes, we do. Our, our uh, safety and security people, our business continuity people can probably speak to that a bit uh, better than I can, but yes, we absolutely do, and we are ISO compliant. I am Edgar Blanco from MIT. Um, my question has to do with the metrics and how do you balance the global metrics that you're interested with the local ones, uh -huh. and how do you adjust them for cultural uh, particularities or other things like that? Um, I'm not sure that we're there yet. I think that we are looking at them from a global perspective right now uh, and taking a look more at the uh, top, but the idea would be to get it into the more local level, and you're right, uh, making, them sh making sure that they are um, culturally uh, uh, acceptable for that particular area. So uh, we're working on that. Hi, I'm Jenny from Remote Satellite. I wondered if, if Cisco at all the different locations actually has uh, a plan in place to deal with local government as far as communications and, uh, you know, a plan for emergencies such as New Orleans. Uh, yes, we have... Um, Chris Kite is the senior director. Underneath her, she has risk management, which is me. She has safety and security, business continuity, and crisis management. We have people on a global basis in all of those areas so that we can effectively uh, manage uh, from a local perspective. Hi. Hi. I'm Mohinder Sika from Sensitel. Uh, looks like you're planning for all the anticipated uh, supply chain operational stuff, right? So is there a bucket or is there some way to account for unend, you know, unexpected events, disasters she mentioned? So is there, is there a part for that kind of planning in your process? Um, that is part of our planning. And yes, we do have backup plans. We, uh, we, um, part of the supply chain, for example, is to make sure that we are able to go to another uh, location uh, to manufacture if one site goes down. Uh, also to make sure that we have uh, other sources of supply uh, in the supply chain in case one of the supply chains goes down. So we do have some backup plans. Uh, those are always developing, of course, uh, based on what we see uh, in terms of the risk to Cisco. I'd like to also ask uh, Lind, uh, given, given uh, for his insight uh, here, yes, given that private sector seems to have a more formalized process of risk management, both in terms of identification of risks, in terms of ass assessment of risk, and prepared uh, responses, and then to widespread education, mobilization of the local officers. So I wonder if uh, this is something that you think uh, uh, humanitarian organizations, uh, maybe, maybe are they doing the same thing, or, or they could do a better job in having this formalized uh, process of understanding and measuring and identifying risks. So maybe if I can get a microphone uh, for, for Lind uh, to, to uh, maybe give, give a comment on this. Yeah. As uh, the speaker was saying, there's uh, many, many forms of risk, so it's a general question. Relative to uh, one thing the UN does extremely well, I, uh, World Food uh, Program particularly, and uh, Ludo's in the audience and from TNT that works very closely on a private sector basis with them, they could tell you, is the uh, risk uh, in, in trying to ascertain, particularly food risk, whether there's going to be famine, drought, et cetera, they have extremely uh, uh, complex and I, I think very, very effective means of, uh, of, of doing that. 
I, um, relative to the process, though, of risk that was outlined by Cisco, to answer simply, yes, I don't think there's any organization, including our own, uh, by the way, that certainly wouldn't uh, uh, be better uh, served and our stakeholders better served by really having an ongoing process. I, I was particularly uh, interested in the uh, process. I'm sit on a number of boards uh, and, and that, you know, to see, to really define that strategy to, to process. Because one of the issues, I think, on most humanitarian organizations is really how to prioritize their resources because they're usually responding. And, they, and uh, so, yes, I, I think the, uh, I, I think you were very well advised to bring Cisco and other organizations like this in because there is, there is certainly application uh, to that. Al, thanks for the question. But to your point before, I think it's also important that we have forums like this because I think we can learn from each other. Uh, I, we can certainly learn from the humanitarian side uh, because there are a lot of things that they're doing to mobilize people and to mobilize equipment that we could certainly gain uh, from that. So. One comment on that, uh, one, one thing that got me into this was we had offices throughout the world. My biggest concern was what to do with the families of our own employees that mm -hmm. got me into this because we had plans to do the office and do everything else, but we, we didn't have plans to support the families of our of our employees. And and in this case, I, I think uh, you know I think the humanitarian aid organizations can be of some enormous help to uh, to uh, support some of these issues by private corporations. Absolutely. Yeah. Dan Reynolds, um, with the Office of Emergency Services for the City and County of San Francisco, um, and serve as the logistics chief for the City and County of San Francisco. Also come from uh, the American Red Cross, where I was the Assistant Disaster Director for the Bay Area, and we'll be traveling to the Gulf States here in just a moment. Um, I'm hoping, as a theme, selfishly, um, through this forum, there's tremendous work and tremendous um, opportunities that the private sector brings to disaster relief and humanitarian efforts. The, on a, as a local jurisdiction and as a Red Crosser, the difficulty is always integrating that, that effort. So as we offer people and services, it's so important on the front end, on the preparedness end, to talk about how you can augment the, the people who are really on the front lines. Because what happens in a disaster event is all of these opportunities come, much like the helicopter assistance, and everybody gets frustrated that they can't get into the system, but those conversations didn't happen on the front end. Mm -hmm. So it's imperative that we're bringing the right people to the table to talk about what we're going to do when it happens. So I'd be curious to know what's Cisco doing with the local jurisdictions now to talk mm -hmm. about what you can do when something happens. Yeah. Um, we're mobilizing people to go down there to uh, deal with the networking so that people can be connected to the network uh, and to be able to look up their family members and also to post in where they are so that people can look them up. One of the things that Chris Kite was doing was helping with that specific initiative. We also are sending um, a couple areas. We're sending our CAP team to the area. CAP stands for Critical Accounts Program. Uh, these people go into our customer site when they have issues, uh, but they're now going into the affected area so that they can help with the engineering and, and putting things in place to get the um, to get things wired so that people can get connected to the internet to uh, help with it. Uh, and also from a philanthropic perspective, we're donating uh, money and matching employee funds so that uh, money is being sent down to the area. Then part two is, when are you going to come to my office 
and let me know how we can we can prepare for good here. Good question. So that's well, that's the, the that, level I'd like to see. Great. Good. Thank you. Bruce Cahan from Urban Logic in New York. Um, there's an analogous question that was raised by the prior presentation, and that is, if grant makers are uh, gun shy about giving overhead to NGOs for preparedness and other other uh, activities, how do shareholders? How does uh, Charles Schwab or or the uh, uh, the Morning Stars or the rest of them um, factor into their analysis of a stock, not specifically Cisco's, but um, your view of Wall Street understanding risk management and reflecting it in share value. Um, part of, I think, the, the missing linkage here is that there's no reward for preparedness in our society. There's only penalty. Mm -hmm. And so I, I wondered, if, if you had some thoughts, what it is that you do to explain uh, on your on your calls or whatever you do with the uh, the, the rating agencies um, on the debt or the equity side, um, do they have do they gloss over? Do they you know go out and take a coffee break when you go into this, or, or do they actually <laughs> listen to you and and reflect it? Um, you know, that's a good question. I, I'm not sure that I'm prepared to answer that one. I think that in, risk management is a relatively new area. I think that it's um, a growing area uh, and one that is, it needs to come more to the forefront of what companies are doing to prepare for risk. Uh, so I don't know how Wall Street deals with it. I do know that the, my senior management uh, is becoming more and more aware and more and more prepared to speak to it. Uh, and I, I'm very glad about that. <laughs> It'll keep me in a job, for one. But <laughs> also, uh, I, think it, I think it's very it's an important area. So to your point, I'm not sure about the Wall Street side of it, but I think that you know, part, of the, uh, part of our job, again, is the education and awareness, so that you know, to the extent that we start with our own backyard and then we move it out, uh, to Wall Street and to the Red Cross and anybody else where we can. Also local, I'm from Palo Alto on the city council here. And I think we're as prepared as almost any city of our size for disaster issues, but I know there are issues we're not prepared for. And Bruce has talked about and, and Lynn talked about um, the need for overhead and administration investment in advance. Uh, you know, certainly on our local budget, we find that people are not willing to invest in the future very much. They'd rather invest in the parks today. Uh, in, in Lynn's talk, you mentioned, I think, four times the issue is local preparedness in advance. And so I would ask, uh, in, in addition to your coming out and talking to us, how can you help change the environment for us more globally, you know, not just Palo Alto or San Francisco, but all the other local areas to help us tell our citizens We've got to do the risk assessment. You've got a very sophisticated approach to Cisco. We can't have that discussion with our citizens. You know, the eyes glaze over after we say <laughs> risk twice. So we need to find a way to get the, you know, people aware of the issue and be willing to make the investment. And if you can, do, if you can change that concept uh, globally in some fashion, that can go a long way to enabling all the localities to do a bit more preparation. Mm-hmm. Then you want to respond to this uh, comment too? Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. It, 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 you're right on. I mean, 
the the um, the way I would respond is, uh, and that's why I brought up Katrina any number of times today. Uh, I mean, just basically as a point of reference, uh, the only way to create any kind of uh, of ongoing resources is to measure the difference of not using them. The reason the ice glaze over because nobody likes a fire drill because nobody thinks there'll ever be a fire. So if there's going to be a fire drill today. No, none of us would get in the room. We wait for tomorrow to to come to work. I mean that's a human condition. There's no right or wrong to it. It's simply the way it is. The only way, in my estimation, I'm glad you raised the question, and it's the only way she can too, is to say um, if we can show demonstrably that some preparedness is going to really have an effect, either to not have a New Orleans in some way to measure what could have happened in New Orleans or others, what could have happened in the tsunami, which is why we're doing that, then I, I think uh, one of the reasons we did that is to bring local companies and divisions of international companies in that area to say, if these three things, very simple things again, had happened, then she would have gotten the call and not had to ask for it, you know, whether it's the city of San Francisco or uh, Nagapatnam and, uh, in, uh, you know, down in Tamil Nadu. It's a grievous question, but that's the way you, I think you get corporate attention as well. I think we have one, two, three, and then we'll have to conclude this section. <laughs> yeah. I'm Sandy Mendia. I'm the uh, program manager for business continuity at Applied Materials. And um, we've been trying to address the very things you're talking about. Um, one of the things we do um, is go from business to business within our, within our own organization and try to help them understand they need to prepare their families. At, have them ask the schools, what would be expected during a crisis? What arrangements do we need to make? Um, do you have a way for your kids to contact you if there's a crisis? You know, just general education. We uh, send out memos through our newsletters. Um, I actually go and talk to each of the business groups during their on-hand, all-hands meetings. Um, when we run disasters around the world, um, which Tuesday I leave to go to the Asian countries and hopefully the, the typhoons will stay away. <laughs> but when we do the disasters, we let everyone within the company know and understand fully that our number one priority that comes down from our executive level is to protect human life and protect the families and protect the environment. That's number one. We, I won't even allow the people to, to start, start discussing doing business until they've already had a full discussion making sure, let me know how many families are taken care of, who's been affected. Um, for instance, in China, we did a drill that um, we have shuttle buses that bring the employees from the train to our company. Um, the disaster last year in China was we wiped out that shuttle bus. Now, we, had, we decided there would be serious injuries as well as death. Um, watching the people in the room trying to deal with this was incredible. They wanted to keep talking about, well, let's see, there were two customer engineers there. How, no, where are the people? Where were they taken? Have their families been notified? Can they get the, the help they need from the hospital? What do your hospitals here re require? And those are the kind of conversations you, that if the corporate level can help educate people to talk to the community, talk to the resources. What do, you, what do you need from us so that we can respond to you better during a crisis? Because that's the hardest part. 
Thank you. Question. Peter Medway from IMC. My, my question has been partly answered by some of the comments of the, of the last few speakers, but the system that you've described is very applicable in a, in a large corporation like yours, but for someone like myself working in a smaller um, enterprise, um, I think it's really important that we create a culture of risk awareness and risk management with it, within our staff that doesn't necessarily come with the same level of cost and investment that your system takes both in time and hiring people like yourself and so on and so on. Um, of all the things that you do and thinking about this issue of scalability in, in risk management for smaller organizations, what two or three things would you highlight as being the really critical elements of creating this culture of risk management amongst the employees of, a, of an organization uh, that, that we can do effectively without having to uh, find resources um, beyond our, our existing operating budget? Yeah, I think the one thing that can happen is that you have people dedicated to it. It doesn't have to be a risk manager. It can be a team of people. It can be a team from um, safety and security, legal, uh, yourself, a, a group of people that get together and talk about the risks to the corporation, to your, to your uh, uh, particular corporation, uh, so that you at least bring, what, what's happened, what's been very interesting throughout this whole process is that now we have people talking about risk. We didn't have that before. So now we have, from the very, from the very senior levels, you know, to my level, we have people talking about risk. And that has been uh, a key driver. So if you get people talking about it, things will start to happen. And, and, and things will start to move in a very positive way so that you start saying, oh yeah, that can happen. Now how do we, what do we do to prevent it? Or how do we mitigate it? Or how do we finance it if, if there's an insurance vehicle out there, uh, if that's an appropriate uh, response to that particular risk. So I think that's one way. Um, another way is to take a look at, um, you know, one of the things that we, we look at in terms of mitigating is our insurance portfolio and, and what we have. Uh, use your broker, I suppose. I mean, that would, it's sort of um, a, a non-response, but it, it, I think it also is important to have your broker working for you to help with them. More and more insurance brokers are getting involved in this enterprise risk management. I'd rely on those people. Those are your sort of your outsourced risk managers. They can be bringing some of these answers to other smaller corporations and should be. I am my, the last I a, question. Yeah. And my question, I'm going to address it to you, but actually this is kind of for everyone, a, a question to think about. When, when September 11th happened and then the aftermath after that, the lessons learned being a focus on security. And I think that every corporation now is looking more towards security. The question now with the awareness of a natural disaster that hit here in the home is after the area in, in New Orleans is stabilized, say a month from now, hopefully, uh, to use the next couple of months after that, um, is the time when it's in people's consciousness of getting that preparedness for natural disasters. Here in the Bay Area, of course, it would be earthquakes. Somewhere else it might be fires or drought. I guess my question to you, and I guess to everyone else, is what action plan do you have within the next two to four months to capitalize on that public awareness and leadership awareness to a 
in your case, risk of a natural disaster that might impact Cisco. Do you have uh, an action plan that you can capitalize on that awareness? And also for the Red Cross, is there an action plan to capitalize on awareness here to reach out to the companies who might be thinking? I guess that's the, my question. Do you? Well, I think part of what we're doing here with this enterprise risk management initiative is to do that, is, is to become prepared and to know what the risks are. Uh, earthquake, obviously, is a huge risk to all of us in the Bay Area. Um, I don't know if you saw the newspaper this morning, but the, uh, again, it, it comes down to the levees breaking. I mean, that, that could be a huge disaster for us here. Uh, so I think that we need to start looking at that, you know, uh, and risk managers maybe need to start stepping out of their corporations and, and looking at it from a more holistic and more environmental perspective. Um, I think it's a growing world, and I think we're getting there, but I don't think we're there yet. So I think that's part of the movement. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very thank much. You. Appreciate it. The preceding program was brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U and is copyrighted by the Board of Trustees of the Leland Stanford Junior University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu.